But yeah, we have uh, probably have enough people watching. Let me just actually roll the intro and officially get get going. All right, here we go. So hey everyone, happy Friday once again. I hope you have a good one. This is the Dash Podcast, episode two hundred and six. Can't believe I did two hundred and six of these already. Um, I'm joined by the one and only Mr. From Research, Paul from Research, or Paul DeLucia. How's it going, man? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Um, I've been definitely wanting to have you on for a while because uh, there's a lot of really cool stuff going on behind the scenes in Dash. And I feel like uh, a lot of times the people building that sometimes get way too in the weeds as far as technical speak and a lot of people don't really understand where that's coming from and you seem like the perfect person who can kind of kind of understands what it means who understands the stuff but also can can speak human and so yeah instead of just purely in gpt prompts like some other (laughs) but uh would, would you mind quickly kind of breaking down who you are and what you do and et cetera Sure. Yeah. So, uh, before Dash, um, I was working as like a quality engineer for like an optics company. Um, I was working there for like one year about, uh, after getting my degree in physics where I learned some software, some like Python scripting and stuff and really enjoyed it. Um, and actually just before, uh, I was starting my degree is when I like discovered Bitcoin. Um, I was really fortunate to have a friend explain it to me like in a way that resonated with me. And I was, got really excited about it, uh, put some money in and stuff. And of course, got even more excited. Um, what year was that? It was in summer of 2017. Mm, okay. So... I rode the wave up and then back down to tell you the truth. <laughs> yeah. Twice now. Yeah, of course. I mean, at least you, um, it's kind of crazy. Cause that's like a, uh, what do they call it? That's a, an OG kind of thing. Now, if you're like, oh, I've been in since 2017 and yeah, and I, I got in before the, the previous cycle, 2013. So it basically 10 years in, you know, which is pretty insane. Um, although, you still have all your black hairs. Well, I mean, I have a, a few grays on this side, but that's um, that's the wife's fault. That's not crypto. But um, <laughs> anyway, so uh, more more accurately, my fault. But anyway, um, so you got in Bitcoin, and then I'm sure the rabbit hole starts. And then where where did you go from there? Well, I immediately started. Uh, going to college for physics and that took up all my time. And then, uh, I was working in a God awful corporate job doing quality engineering. And, uh, after about a year, I started applying for jobs and, uh, I really have to thank Sam for giving me like a massive opportunity to come to dash and, uh, really like learn software and stuff. Uh, a lot of concepts and software and uh yeah now here we are almost two years later nice yeah and so would you mind really quickly breaking down 
I guess your role with Dash Core Group and what the kind of what kind of stuff you work on. Sure. So I am, I I my official title is R and D engineer, mm-hmm. and I I think it makes sense. I do some research and some development. So uh, I'm one of two people on like the designated research team, me and Virgil. And so anytime any kind of like research needs to like any effort needs to be allocated to research, they give it to us. Uh, Virgil is like a math whiz crypto crypto. He has a master's degree in cryptography. So he handles the really in the weeds type of stuff. And I kind of handle more of like, uh, for example, a few months ago, Brian Foster said like, Hey, we want to look into, uh, options for adding tra- uh, transaction messages for dash pay mm. and uh, you know what like what are our options so mm. in that scenario I like look into what the existing options are and try to figure out what we can do from there yeah and that is a kind of a very interesting thing um, in particular uh, one thing that whenever I use Zcash I very much appreciate the encrypted memo field because whenever you know, especially they're they're having a lot of wallet problems right now. And so sometimes you have to switch wallets and then having what this was for in every single transaction that's when I restore my wallet is very helpful. It's like, oh, this was for this. This was for that. This was for this. And it's all only visible to me because it's, you know, it's encrypted, right? It's not the whole blockchain. And so uh, that's that's a feature that's very useful. And so I definitely... Um, I actually did a wallet break a wallet workshop presentation at Zcon a few few weeks ago and that was one of those things of like must have is the ability to sort of like have memos and categorize them under a username of some kind and obviously with like non-username type systems just regular old crypto that's a little bit clunkier but just the the principle is the same right about like I it, from a user experience perspective it's great to be able to have like Oh, Paul, this is all the transactions I've had with Paul and what they were for. And just so, did he pay me back for this thing yet? And you can just see it right there. And that's a, that's something really cool. So I'm, I'm glad you're definitely work, looking into that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, you can. So, uh, yeah, I do research in that as- aspect. And um, I, I think um, I've, I've uh, liked doing some like blog posts Mm -hmm. uh, and that requires doing research uh, in our own docs a lot and uh, talking to people who have been here for a lot longer than me who have thought about it more like to, you know, be able to communicate the applications of things like GroveDB and uh, data contracts. Um, And I think going off of what you were saying before, how I can kind of translate these things into like human language, sort of. I uh, while I'm at a disadvantage because I am don't have a deep software background, mm. uh, you know I, that because of that I'm able to kind of explain to the layperson because I kind of am. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like the um, the daywalker, you know, you can kind of dip into both worlds a little bit, you know. <laughs> yeah all right well yeah why don't we the entire 
And I kind of feel like I've, every time I have someone on to talk about evolution, it's the general kind of, I guess, concept is almost exactly the same each time, although you get a completely different aspect of the picture of what is it, what what is evolution, what does it do, how is it different, that kind of stuff. And so, um, so I'm looking at the um, the Dash Platform README docs. And says, what is Dash Platform? It's a Web3 technology stack for building unstoppable applications on Dash's network. And talks about um, some of the key advantages and stuff like that. So uh, when we're talking about, so the key advantages is obviously decentralized cloud storage, reduced data silos, client libraries, instant data confirmation. And so um, real quick, I guess on that, uh, how... So Dash Platform is a data contract platform, right? And not as opposed to a smart contract platform, although smart contract functionality is hopefully going to come at some point later. But uh, first off, before we even break down data contracts, right? Uh, Is the data contract as it is in Dash kind of already a thing anywhere else in crypto is it like a, is it completely novel is it like partially novel or is it something that like a, a few projects are already using pretty successfully already as far as i know and and i've googled it like quite a bit uh nobody else is doing doing data contracts like this mm. uh, in web in like web 2 and uh, traditional data pipelines, they use something called data contracts, which are similar. And it just kind of, they're like formats to make sure that uh, data is in the right format mm-hmm. uh, to be transferred through the pipeline. And if you make upgrades to the software, the data contract helps you just keep everything standardized so that the pipeline keeps keeps moving. But and and that is kind of similar to how how we use it. Mm. Yeah, so this is where stuff gets and this is where, you know, I become a huge noob in talking about all this stuff. But um what exactly is a data contract? And I guess the comparison for crypto people or people who know about crypto even if they're noobs like me, um is the smart contract. So I guess what 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 makes it what makes a data contract a data contract as opposed to a smart contract? Um, so a data contract, it defines uh, here. It uh, a data contract basically defines the types of data and the structure of the data that an app can store, mm-hmm. um, and it uses. It's just this JSON schema, which is mm-hmm. like a, a concept that pretty much every developer is familiar with. Yeah. So it enables, it enables developers to store their data on their app data on a platform, a decentralized Web3 platform uh, without having to learn like Solidity or anything. They just need, they just need to make the JSON schema data contract uh, and you know build their app on top of that yeah and so if i were to i guess 
try to break that down then a data contract is just a, a, a like an easy way of referencing and storing some data on the blockchain and being able to like relate to it very quickly so if i am writing an app rather than store it in some centralized thingy i store it on platform and then i just read a little contract that just says this is the data you get this is the data you need here's how to get it blah 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 and just allows you to draw from that is that kind of semi-accurate um yeah i i i get i think maybe like <laughs> like the data contract defines the the fields the you can store a first name here you can store a restaurant name here mm -hmm. uh you can store a type of food here um and then from there you can build like an application using whatever language javascript or or whatever on mm -hmm. top of it uh you just need to reference the json schema when you're interacting with platform yeah and so i guess the corollary with that is with um the way this is structured at least is you basically just write a regular application like a regular web 2 app and you just have a little data contract in there that says instead of referencing some database that you control or something else, it just references, you know, evolution as far as the database is concerned. It just says, get this, get that, get that, get that. Is that in exactly? Kind of it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, um, you, it's like kind of an interface almost. Uh, you can take an existing app now and instead of sending it to this database, you can really easily just send it to dash platform mm -hmm. yeah i'm telling people to smash the like button in the chat because you know um so when you kind of do that um if you had to do if you had to use something like ethereum for a similar purpose like say you wanted to write a an app but have it rely on the decentralized data storage and you're doing with ethereum kind of thing most people would then kind of like write a smart contract. And so they'd have to, first of all, write it in Solidity, which is the, you know, the Ethereum programming language. They have to write it into something different. They would uh, add, which, you know, makes it more, I guess, difficult. And then typically a lot of the execution and stuff, the actual like um, running of the thing is done as well as just the data reference. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. And also, uh, like da uh, platform data contracts uh, allow you to create indexes really easily and other like validations on the data really easily. Mm -hmm. So if you want to create an index on like, uh, you know, restaurants in some city, restaurants mm -hmm. in New York, uh, with Ethereum, you would need like some kind of relatively complex logic you would need to use like multiple data structures to do that and you'd have to write it all in solidity uh meanwhile you can just do it with a json schema on platform yeah it's so um obviously that makes things much cheaper I, I don't know if it's obvious but it should be make things a lot cheaper and more efficient i do know that um a friend of mine who comes on the podcast once in a while uh, scott cunningham recently did some report on the cost of centralization where he's breaking down. One of the things he broke down was the, uh, the cost of 
centralized stable coins because the smart contract has to read through blocked a list of blocked addresses and that adds a significant transaction cost to actually sending for example usdc or tether you when you actually send it it's more expensive than sending die because die doesn't actually block addresses and so just the the expensive computing of like saying are you sending to this one no are you sending this one no are you sending this one no okay then you can send it and just that extra cost it just makes it so much more so much less efficient so Obviously, it's a little bit of a dubious example because it's about like block transactions or whatever, but basically querying that sort of data should be a lot more efficient with a, a dash data contract, right? Yeah, yeah. If I'm understanding you correctly, like you can just nap, you can, you don't have to ch go through the whole list and check everyone. You can just navigate directly to the one you're looking for. Yeah. And so, um, what is. What's the closest that this has been done to... Oh, sorry, that's a horrible phrasing. But what's the closest to this that has already been done in in crypto so far? Uh, I, I actually don't know. Like, when I think of dApps in crypto, I think of smart contracts in mm -hmm. Ethereum or Cosmos or Polygon. Yeah. And so how... This is kind of where it gets interesting because um, at first, when I'm trying to understand the con concept of data contracts and what they're for and why they're useful and all that kind of stuff, um, at first, it's, you know, you learn a lot of ways that this is, I guess, better or more efficient than doing it through a smart contract way, even though it's, it can necessitate, doesn't have the program, the programmatic ability. But then at some point in the last, I would say, year, um, we started to hear that enable that there's a lot of things that would be good to do if you could actually still do smart contracts as well. It's very useful to be able to have programmatic abilities. And there's some talk about adding programmatic functionality into uh, Dash Evolution in the future hopefully near future, but, you know, after initial release at some point. And so I guess that, that sort of begs the question is how does, how do data contracts interface with smart contracts? And like, what's the benefit of having both in terms of like, say, where they sort of broke down how data contract works. Um, would it just be that some app, there would be two types of contracts on a, a programmatic evolution, I guess, and you just pick which one suits your your um, your needs, or would it be that you you use them in conjunction, like you mostly do data contract, but then have a couple little programmatic things running here? Like how do, how would they how do they work together hypothetically? Um, yeah, so I'm sure that like Sam and Ivan and probably Anton and some other developers have ideas of how they want to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know exactly what they're thinking. Um, if I had to guess, if I had to guess like data contracts will, it may be in like the first iteration, smart contracts will be like an optional layer on top of data contracts uh, where you can add some additional logic. Like um, if this field exists, like if there's a, turtle in the database, then add a rabbit mm -hmm. type of logic like that. 
um, yeah, like the smart contract will be on a layer on top of the data contract sort of. Yeah. And so you kind of sort of run both. Whereas maybe if you tried to build, let's just say, and again, apologies in advance for all the people who are very technically minded, who are just like their ears are bleeding, hearing this, like <laughs> this dumb thing. I'm intentionally playing a little dumber than I actually am, even though I am quite dumb just to try to like make it, easy to digest for other people but so maybe if someone was going to run a, a, something completely on ethereum the entire thing would be i guess run through the ethereum virtual machine that runs the smart contract the whole thing would be expensive and clunky or whatever and if someone took the same use case they could build it with dash do all the same things but it'd be a lot more efficient because like let's say 80 percent of it wouldn't even need any Oh, that programmatic stuff that Ethereum uses. It would use a much more efficient way of getting that done. And you'd still do, you know, you still do some computations on just a little bit of it. Is that possibly accurate or not? Or is this, this is where I'm going off the rails? Well, I think it depends on the application. Uh, I would say like maybe half of the applications that would be true for if it's, you know, if there's not a lot of, complex logic on top of the data structures and stuff and how you're storing the data, mm -hmm. uh, then yeah, data, then it's going to be a lot, data contracts can do like that and it's going to be a lot more efficient. Um, but if you, if you need to do like a lot more uh, logic, uh, then that, you know, it's not necessarily true. Um, it depends how we, implement a virtual machine and what and smart contracts and stuff yeah for sure uh just before move on to the next i guess subject to that I'm just putting up the dashpay.io site on the screen the data contract creator where you can generate a data contract using ai or by filling out this form below and so i guess it's a i haven't played with it because i'm too dumb but uh, it's just a, it seems like a very easy interface and way of playing around with what could be created pretty soon in actual, you know, an actual mainnet setting, right? But basically um, see what kinds of contracts they'd be, what they would look like, et cetera. And um, yeah, so if anyone wants to l learn more about this kind of stuff, I think I'd probably recommend you go check that out and try to just play around with it and see what you get. Actually, I have a note on that too. I haven't told uh, you or I think most people at uh, DCG don't know about it either, but uh, we just this week made plans and we're gonna launch it probably next week. Mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're gonna be subsidizing the API key. So mm -hmm. uh, we're gonna handle the API key. It's like a small amount of funds. It's gonna be like a promotional event type of thing and basically you can go on dashpay.io and uh, just type your prompt right in there and not have to worry about the, the key. So I think it'll make a lot more people go and use it because I imagine like almost nobody has actually gone and gotten a key and stuff. Yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> um, now let's hit the, the next thing is just generally speaking, um, identities right and this is for a lot of i guess og type people a lot of people have been around in in dash for a while the entire purpose uh 
or most of what people thought evolution would be about was just identities was username contact list that's like the first thing that people thought of and then obviously it's expanded to a lot of things but so yeah just putting the dash platform readme identities thing what is an identity an identity is a blockchain-based identifier for individuals and applications so would you mind explaining what identities are really yeah okay wow i i didn't know that i, I think uh evo might be out if we were just doing that <laughs> uh and how um identities are they're like a construct um on dash platform where uh they're a construct that uh enables usernames usernames uh so we we have mm -hmm. dash platform name system dpns yeah. So users can, it's just like ENS where you can do mm -hmm. like Paul.eth, people will be able to do Paul.dash. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, it's like an identity holds basically, it, it puts a name over your public key or a set of public keys. Yeah. It's so um, in the old time, in, in you know, in the... I guess the older iterations of this kind of tech. And I've actually not from like a deeply technical level, but obviously, but I've looked into different uh, identity systems in crypto for a little while. And those seem to be some kind of a very basic, like resolver type thing. Like for example, ENS that just when you use this username, it resolves to this address and that's it. And so, mostly from the, the functionality, you get a lot of, at least from the payments use case, let, let, let me just clarify on that. Um, if you have an ENS domain and you put it in, it just spits out the static address that you have associated with that domain and that's it. And it's kind of very primitive in that way. There's not a lot of like relationships between identities. There's not a lot of more complicated things that are stored in a lot of these things. And, um, that's pro in my opinion probably why there's very few there's very little usage of identities of actual usernames in crypto transactions as payments and stuff because it's just not very useful at this point okay huh and uh i mean yeah, to be honest, so I told you this, but uh, like I hadn't done much research on identities in the past until this week when you wanted to told me you wanted to talk about it. Mm -hmm. uh, like, how is that different than uh, plat dash platform identities? Yeah, so I guess well, let's just start by looking at like how do dash platform identities work out. And then we could kind of compare and contrast a little bit. So yeah, so how, so the identity is, it's a little thing. It's like it, so first off, from my understanding, from what people told me before, at least, I don't know if it's changed, but uh, identities are separate from usernames themselves. Usernames are just sort of a thing associated with the identity that that makes people actually like be able to know stuff, right? So is in you register, you have like, you know, your private, your public key, private key, whatever. You register an identity and you have a little identity identifier or whatever, but it's not human readable. But then you 
associate via DPNS. You associate an actual username with the identity. And I've also heard um, conceptually, at least you could associate potentially multiple usernames with the same identity. Is that kind of correct? I uh, I think so. I'm, I'm not sure. I know you can do multiple public keys with the same identity. Mm-hmm. And I think you can give them like different roles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can give them different roles as well, different levels of security. Um, yeah. Right? And it's, yeah. Yeah, and so basically how, so an identity is more than just a username resolver, right? Is in how do, what kinds of data can identities store and what kind of interactions are there between identities? Um, well, I think like an identity, so this is, my, my understanding is that an identity is, it's really just like um, you have your public keys. It's like a repository for public keys. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you can like create apps um, on top of that, that utilize identities where you can associate like personal data and stuff uh, uh-huh. with a public key. And, you know, since you have the, the private key, you can like prove that you have that is yours. You can prove ownership of this data. Um, and in that way you can like, uh, I guess there's, I have not thought about that, this that much, mm-hmm. but I, I think this is related to kind of putting like data back into people's hands, uh, rather than, you know, Facebook owning your data and stuff. Yeah. It's so, um, it would be really cool, by the way, I think maybe in a few months or whenever, when, of course, uh, is having a whole episode just on the intricacies of identities and how they work and all this other kind of stuff, because there's a lot of interesting stuff in there. Um, from my understanding, um, one of the coolest things, the, I guess the thing that really sets a lot of identities apart from competitors especially seems to be the ability to associate identities with each other in a, like a a friending sort of process where, um, and it it has been told to me that even if they say like, I friended you on Evo and then for whatever reason, Evo, like someone DDoSed all the Evo nodes and they all went down. Um, after if we'd already made the connection, we could still make payments to each other because we exchange our, I guess, exchange private expubs or something. So we could just continue generating new addresses and sending to each other, which that that's from, from what I was told is pretty kind of pretty interesting. Uh, The other, so being able to like have an identity, like not just a username, but an identity that has, user that has data associated with it and relationships to other users associated with it and that that that's something that you can own is something that's a little bit um it's different from the current username system that i'm aware of and yeah and i know this isn't really a big strong this isn't something you've spent a lot of time researching in in the other kind of world and i i guess i should probably update my knowledge because i have 
it was like two or so years ago that I got deep into this stuff or as deep as a non-technical person can be. But for the most part, um, like an ENS contract or whatever has just says like when you set one up or an unstoppable domains is another one, you put in your static crypto addresses and then whenever you enter it in a compatible wallet, it just literally looks up address, spits out address. And all of that is also public knowledge on the blockchain as far as like which which addresses and stuff are associated with this. And yeah. so there's a there's a lot of privacy problems. And I understand from what Sam has been telling us that there it's not necessarily perfect with dash identities either, that there will have to be some extra stuff to make sure that associating um, identities with actual UTXOs and stuff, there's a, to make sure that they're semi-private. But with current systems, there's none of that. But also, if like, let's say you restore a wallet from, from nothing, all your contacts are not, your contacts are completely separate currently with most wallets, right? The wallet, the, the wallet itself can, keeps track of all that contact data and it's not part of your actual like private keys. It's not part of your actual, your actual keys. And so you'd have to have just a, like a list of all the usernames of people. And on chain or wherever there's actual data, um, there's no record of your transactions with someone else. Like if you and I transacted a million different times, if I forget that that address that I'm sending to you is associated to the username, then it's when I restore the wallet, I'm like, who was I sending to this whole time? And so it's, uh, yeah. it's a lot more primitive right now, which is why it, it just like an address resolver. It's that's why it's a lot. It, I, I personally don't believe it has gone mainstream yet because it's just the tech isn't there. And um, from playing around with the dash pay wallet on testnet, where you can actually friend and then send to people repeatedly and it seems like it's a lot just smoother on that mm, great yeah yeah that's uh honestly you probably know more about all of that than i do mm -hmm. i i thought that a lot of that functionality was uh like ingrained in dash pay uh more than identities mm -hmm. uh but at the same time i know that dash pay is uh, more ingrained in platform than a than a regular uh, DAP that you can create with a data contract. We have it's like kind of somewhat embedded into platform. So maybe I maybe that is somehow how that's possible. Yeah, uh, this would make for a, a good blog post for me. So maybe I will do that. Uh, it's definitely an interesting topic, and uh, if if there's confusion around it you know that's uh my job here so i yeah maybe i'll do that yeah and i'll message you some suggestions of other username systems to look into because um, i know quite a few and they all have a bunch of problems and limitations to them that you know it's a very difficult problem to solve how do you have a completely public blockchain and simplify things but then have any kind of element of privacy between that so because like when i'm sending from a ethereum address to another ethereum address even though it's one is the account model so it's one address it's at least i'm not telling you who i am who's interacting with the other person once i do that i have zero privacy 
and then obviously Dash getting new addresses, and then if you use CoinJoin, of course it's harder. But just being able to say like, at Paul from Research to the Desert Links, <laughs> and then right. it's just at that point it becomes really kind of a different level. Um, so let's hit on the um, let's hit on the structure of platform or Evo or whatever, because okay, I. I keep hearing all these things around, like, to the average person, I guess. You hear, like, oh, evolution does this, evolution does that. And then you start hearing all these other things that are mentioned. Um, like, for example, oh, then there's there's Tender Dash, and then there's Grove DB, and then there's Dappy. <laughs> and there's just, like, a lot of, like, the non Obviously, anyone who actually interacts with this kind of stuff can figure that out pretty well. But... Other than that, like, what what are all these things? What are all these components, and what do they do? And that's a you know, it's kind of like you know, who that who knows what a carburetor is these days? You know, what's yeah. that? Then there's the fuel pump and the air filter, and then there's just all kinds of different things. And oh, you got a supercharger. What does that do? Like, no one knows this today as far as what a how a car engine works. But um, right, it might be fun to go into this. So. Um, what are the different components of uh, the evolution platform? Sure. Yeah. So, uh, tender dash is the consensus mechanism mechanism. Uh, it's a fork of Tendermint, Um, and it's configured for dash platform. There were some changes we had, we had to make, of course. Uh, and then there were some changes that like we saw that we could make based on the structure of our network uh, mm-hmm. to make it more efficient and uh, add some extra cool features. So it, that's like the consensus mechanism, basically the validators talking to each other to formulate the block and agree on the next block in the, the chain. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so Tenderbit's kind of like the, yeah. is the consensus engine for how, I guess, transactions are processed on on evolution. So, on the Evo chain, or this is where the, like the names start to get like. I think there has to be some like naming conventions get a little bit fixed. But uh, yeah. So there's the Dash chain, which is the Bitcoin based UTXO L1, whatever you want to call it, that just does Nakamoto consensus obviously with a bunch of modifications, whatever. And then there is, and that, that those send dash. And then there's credits, which are basically a, a dash for Evo, a different, like a different credit, right? The bridge over that have like, it, it's, it's, a, is it like one to a thousand or like, what's the conversion rate? Yeah. Uh, no one dash Wait, what is it? Uh, I think one duff, which, mm-hmm. what is it? There's 100 million duff in, per dash. Yeah. It's like a Satoshi of Bitcoin. Yeah. Uh, there's 1,000 platform credits per duff. Wow. 1,000. So credit is ex- extremely small. Yeah. So that's like, you know, that's like Venezuelan boulevards at this point, right? <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah. it's crazy. And so the chain that sends the side chain that sends those back and forth. Um, what do we call that, that chain? 
do we have a chain for it a name for it um i call it platform chain and yeah. I, most people in dcg call it platform yeah so there's dash yeah. core chain but no one's going to call it core chain but whatever and then there's platform chain and the platform chain uses uh tenderman based tender dash um consensus to to kind of operate is that so, sort of true <laughs> yeah yeah totally totally yeah and so that's just every time you do an action let's say like you submit a data contract you i guess access it in change some data here you et cetera et cetera that's a transaction on platform chain right or is yeah a state we, transition a state transition is the term that we use yeah yeah and so just from like a very um i guess basic sort of a, a standpoint um how how often how many transactions are we talking about for some basic actions? So obviously with a payment, you send one payment every time you want to pay people and maybe you move to your wallet and then, Oh, that's one. And then you pay this person and then maybe pay a second person or it's pretty easy to break that down. But like, let's just say, um, if I am going on the dash Yelp, Delp or whatever you want to call it. And I am, <laughs> and I start to like, in it, as a as an end user, let's just say, or if I just I go on there, I look up coffee shops in Bangkok, and I find this one, and I whatever. Um, what kind of things? What kind of of those actions? Assuming this is built on top of evolution, which kind of things trigger a state transition? Which kind of actions do that? So what you just said is there's no state transitions in that at all. Mm -hmm. That's just quick. Mm -hmm. that's just reading uh, a state transition what we state transi transitions that we have right now are uh, are okay so the data that is stored on platform are is uh, documents mm -hmm. and uh, a document has like multiple fields like you can have uh, Paul favorite color blue mm -hmm. uh, age whatever uh, that's a document and we have let's see uh we have document creation state transi transition mm -hmm. transition <laughs> uh delete document uh replace document and update so four mm -hmm. okay and so yeah. what you're querying that doesn't change but say i decide i really love this one particular bar in thailand um because Mark Mason recommended it to me and it turned out to be a good time, as he said. If you know, you know. But so then I leave a review on this Dash Yelp and I just say, oh, five stars, five and a half stars, even, whatever. Then I submit and then that gets updated in the database there. That would be then one state transition, right? Yeah, that would be a create a document creation. Yeah. So yeah. on a so basically in a lot of just basic use cases there's there's not a ton of use but then there could be some where you're like for example um if you're using a dash-based Twitter or something and then your feed of like posts every time you do a new post 
or edit a comment or edit your bio or whatever. Just that's when you start racking up those transitions. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. If you uh, have a comment on whatever discord and you make a slight edit to it, like you want to add an exclamation point instead of a period mm -hmm. and you can save that's going to be an, a document update. And then you're like, oh, shoot, I actually want to delete this word too. That's going to be another update. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, I guess just sort of looping back to the, the basic just why of the whole thing. So the reason I would want to um, do something, I would want to build these apps on it is that I just don't have to deal with running my own back backend infra to like store all the data and query it, serve it up and all that kind of stuff. I just plug into the Dash network with that and it's it's more efficient than doing it myself. Is that, is that sort of true? Well, yeah, but uh, like that's uh, not the main selling point for platform. The, mm -hmm. the selling point is that it's decentralized. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, there's nodes, it's being stored in nodes all over the world uh, in all different countries. So it's, uncensorable and also highly secure mm -hmm. uh you know so if half the nodes go down you're still gonna your data is still gonna be there yeah and you know. otherwise it can do a lot of the same stuff you're already kind of doing from centralized providers but it's just and it's not i guess clunky and super expensive like something like ethereum and so yeah yeah so let's move on to the Sorry, I'm just referencing million it's, things. It's still more expensive than storing in most like centralized services, but like that's the cost that you have to pay mm. uh, for for the benefits, you know. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. Uh, definitely, I um, definitely my life is complicated because I use crypto, right? Um, <laughs> and it just I understand there's some you know, risks that. All right, let's talk about DAPI, right? Decentralized API. Yeah. Um, so this is, you know, where a lot, of, a lot of technical people run circles around me on this stuff, but basically um, what is DAPI and like, what does it do? Yeah, so DAPI stands for Decentralized API and it allows you to connect to any of the platform nodes uh, just from just from wherever you don't mm -hmm. basically you don't need to run a full node like you do in Ethereum. And I think pretty every other blockchain that I'm aware of, you need to like run a full node in order to query the blockchain. Mm. Uh, so that's like it was like one or two years ago that it was a huge debate in Ethereum how and it's it's still this way like 99% of the applications on Ethereum route through Infura, yeah. which is this service that runs nodes, uh, you know, so that you can query the blockchain and stuff. So, so DAPI basically uh, allows you to connect to the blockchain without having to run a full node. Yeah. Yeah. And so from a data perspective and an Ethereum types perspective, that's, huge obviously because i do remember the infurious stuff i do remember infura which is what metamask used at the time i 
don't know where that stands now, um, was censoring or disallowing activity from users based in Venezuela and some other sanctioned countries by the U.S. And there was a big scandal over that or a big uproar. And it just, I would say as far as in the the block size wars and everything, like the, the stuff since forever in crypto, the ability to run your own node has always been a kind of a premium thing because of this kind of stuff, because you need it to access data. You need to run your own node. Otherwise, someone else has to run the node. You have to trust them. It's the big centralization vector. So from a data standpoint, it does seem pretty huge. Uh, is anyone else doing anything similar to Dappy out there? Do you know? Yeah, um, I've seen like, I've seen there's some like service that uh, their headline is something like, you know, create a decentralized API for your blockchain. Mm -hmm. uh, so I know that that is a thing, but besides that, um, I don't think like Ethereum has, or anybody that I know of has adopted that, uh, really. So, uh, yeah. yeah, it's a really great selling point for Dash, honestly. Yeah. It's so, it sounds like probably the, almost like one of the more primary kind of things, um, like one of the big advantages like oh wow you need this it, it really clears out a whole lot of that stuff uh now as far as what dappy's concerned in running the node and uh is dappy platform only or does it have can it also query stuff on the core chain i believe that it's platform only uh and I know there are some internal discussions going on about, I don't, I don't know exactly, but I'm sure it's being discussed uh, on having it work for core as well. Mm. Do you know if that's a significantly more challenging problem or is it just, oh, it's another thing we should have to do or something? I, to me, it sounds like, why not just do it? It sounds really easy, but it, it must not be that easy. Otherwise, they would do it. Yeah, well, watch everyone lighting up Quantum's DMs right now about that. But, <laughs> I mean, that I, from my personal opinion, not you know just from being in the space and stuff and seeing the entire reason why Bitcoin forked into a bunch of things was over the run-your-own-node kind of a thing. And a lot of big criticisms of Ethereum also come from that kind of stuff. And a lot of the scaling type debate things, a giant chunk of the crypto space is obsessed with, you need to be able to run your own node to validate your own transactions. Otherwise you have to do it through some centralized party. And obviously on a data element, this is, you know, huge to change that. But from a transaction yeah. standpoint where you can, let's just say use let's say a core dappy to run a, like a light wallet service and you don't have to actually run a node that then can be censored and things like that. You could just, you know, query the network like that. Uh, I'm sure that that would help a lot of providers to just not have to run dash infra at that point to just be able to just say, Oh, here we go. We just run it. Just query dappy instead of run your own node. But also it really, it really kind of takes away that whole, you need to run your own node for censorship resistance argument. It kind of solves that and really puts Dash in a 
I guess, an industry leading position in that way? For sure. Yeah. It's like one of these things that, uh, we're dash is, I think like the first person, first organization doing it or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever first network doing it. And it's like a no brainer. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see everyone else that just be the standard soon enough. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so then the last, I guess, um, component, right, is drive, right? And so yeah. the thing with drive, I'm just throw that up on the screen. First of all, I have to say, what's the difference between drive and Grove DB? Yeah. Um, so drive, um, I'm when i first was learning about this my understanding was that drive kind of encompasses uh grove db uh drive and rocks db mm-hmm. uh now i know they're different things uh i don't know if that's true if it encompasses them all but mm-hmm. uh, it might be um drive drive is basically business logic that allows the database to talk to the blockchain. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, GroveDB is where the data is actually, well, <laughs> there's actually an, a third layer. Uh, so at, uh, the third layer is RocksDB, and that's at the very bottom. That's where the data is actually stored. Mm-hmm. Uh, RocksDB is like, was created by Facebook. Um, you know, we have our own fork, of course, it's open source. Yeah. Uh, and that's where like all the key values are stored in a highly efficient way. Mm-hmm. Um, GroveDB is a layer on top of that, that basically gives this data a structure. It, mm-hmm. it organizes all the data into a tree, like into trees basically. Mm-hmm. So you can, you can, uh, query indexes and you can do, pr- you can get proofs, uh, for the data. Mm. Yeah, and so Drive is kind of like all that together, sort of. Um, I, in, so in my head now, Drive is just the business logic between GroveDB and mm. Platform Chain. Yeah, but I'm, you'll have to check with like Ivan or something. Yeah. I think so, they might, when they say Drive, they might just be talking about the whole thing. Yeah. So, but basically, these are all data storage components, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, and this is where, you know, this is the noob question, right? Where, you know, hopefully get some people to stop zoning out on this part. Um, as far as these databases and stuff, you see like you forked rocks from Facebook and all this kind of stuff. Um, they're not like all the data that they can store. You have to like, you have to like run an instance yourself, right? It's kind of like a, a database format kind of to use. So like, all the data that Facebook uses when you fork rocks, you don't get all that data too, right? It's just, it's just a database structure that then if like evolution runs rocks DB, it's the same basic format for a data. It's the same basic database, but different data in there because it's storing dash related data in this case. And it's stored by the dash network. Is that kind of correct? A hundred percent. Yeah. And that's a, a good thing to point out. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's just uh it's just uh it's a database that has no data in it. 
uh, until we put our own in. Yeah. And so like when GroveDB was released and there's like a site, oh, GroveDB, it's great. Um, it's just a database structure that any project now can take and say like, oh, I'm going to, we're going to run our own GroveDB instance on X network. And then they just start using that format to then have their own database. And then Dash's GroveDB is only Dash related stuff and et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Yep. So regarding all these, like, so it's not, not just database structures, but then platform, whether it's called drive or whatever, actually stores this data itself with the Evo nodes, right? Yeah. Well, uh, the root, so, uh, in Grove DB, there's the root hash. There's like, uh, at the very top of the tree, there's a hash, like just a, a string of, you know, uh, what's it called? L numbers mm. and letters. Uh, and basically every time the database changes, anything changes in the database, the root hash changes. Mm -hmm. So that root hash is stored in the, the platform chain blocks. Um, and therefore you can verify, like, uh, if you want to check if something is in the database, you can basically request a cryptographic proof and, uh, you can compute it on your end. You know, most applications will like compute it for you. And, uh, if, if you calculate the root hash and compare it to the one that's published in the blockchain, then you know that your data is, in fact, in the database. Yeah, and those proofs sound like very important to this whole thing. Now, as far as these databases are concerned, so obviously it's database structures, but then there's actual data as well. Uh, now, what is the, say Ethereum, let's just pick on Ethereum again. Does Ethereum have a, I guess, a corollary to this? Is there any kind of like Ethereum type database that are used for Ethereum apps? And if someone wanted to do all the stuff that let, that you'd use Evolution for, for example, if you wanted to do all that stuff on Ethereum, where would the data be stored and like who would store it? Yeah, so Ethereum uses, they just have for each... Uh, smart contract, they have a storage try, it's called. It's, it's different than a tree. Mm. Um, not exactly sure why, I, I, but... <laughs> um, Maybe because you try, they, they don't guarantee it's going to succeed, just that you could try it. <laughs> All yeah. the bad puns. Um, uh, and um, there's there's no indexing in it. It's just a, it's just a try that has... It, it like prefixes, this is probably not, you're probably mm -hmm. not interested in this, but it's mm -hmm. like all the data that's stored, it stores it by like the letters, uh, like if like uh, P-A-D would be stored right next to P-A-E. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's just a like a tree, basically. It, it, it has a root hash and that root hash is published in the, the blockchain as well, but um it's there's no indexing it's all like uh yeah primary keys and it's also the there it's a merkel patricia try mm -hmm. and uh the cryptographic proofs are like extremely inefficient mm -hmm. uh so th they're working now on Merkle trees which are like 
uh, a huge improvement. And yeah. actually, we we're looking into uh, using them as well in GroveDB mm-hmm. sometime in the future. But uh, yeah, uh, if you want to create an index on platform on uh, Ethereum, mm-hmm. you need to create a mapping to basically you know store to you need to create a mapping to create an index um and if you do that you're storing everything twice Mm. and uh yeah i mean if you want to create like a compound index you have to create two mappings and if you want to create two and two indexes you have to store everything three times and so it's it's almost it's like incomparable no it's uh it's not really practical yeah it's so you know to hit the newbest of all the questions so when you do all this data storage and stuff so where is it stored in ethereum like is it stored on the blockchain itself do you store it yourself somewhere else do you use ipfs and store it there and just reference it like where is the data stored that you kind of need and again apologies for a really dumb question i'm trying to to break it down so people know what know what we're talking about it's stored in the full nodes mm. uh yeah so the ethereum state is they're facing like problems because it's like huge that uh mm. the ethereum state so uh yeah it's stored in the full nodes and then uh the root hash is stored in the blockchain as well which the full nodes also store mm, okay so yeah basically there is a corollary with this in Ethereum, but the way Dash does it is a much more efficient. You don't have to have, you have less data and it's a lot easier. You have less data intensive data for the same stuff. And it's a lot easier to to actually, um, it's a lot easier to query it and more efficient. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, it's like, it's it's much closer to like what, a web two developer would think of as a database. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. And so that basically makes it a lot easier to build apps on on Evo than you know other stuff. Yeah, easier and cheaper and more efficient. Yeah. And so, let's hit on just just the final basic thing is, uh, which we kind of already like hit on little bits in here and there. It's just like the why Evo, right? Why use it? Um, from the username standpoint, that makes perfect sense to me because I want intuitive username payments and social sending data and stuff. Like kind of like the the X.com experience, but I don't trust Elon Musk. So I want, I want a decentralized network to be able to facilitate payments and stuff like that. That part makes sense. As far as... Um, why would anyone build anything on Evo? Um, we kind of mentioned a little bit. It seems like from the Ethereum type standpoint, it's you can do stuff like that. Obviously, there's a ton of difference in nuance, but stuff like that, cheaper and more efficiently. And then when you go to, from like the, the legacy world, maybe it's more expensive to do some things but you don't have to, you can do it in a decentralized way. And is that kind of the way we can sort of break down? Why would you use Evo for stuff in a super high level thing? 
Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that, 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 sure. Yeah, that works. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, now we'll play a little, like go through a few examples of apps that someone would build on, like, let's say, and this is at some point, uh, this would be a very fun thing to do on like a, a, a website or article or something or a video or something breaking down the three the like legacy web 2 version the evo version and then the eth version and just like of the same thing so well, i'm going to hit yeah. on a couple of those and just off the top of your head if you don't mind just whatever you think might be the advantage and stuff so if i use if i run a let's just say a yelp because we were already talking about that like a a merchant listing site merchant listing in in this case merchant listing and review site and so if i want to run yelp yelp right i need first of all you know i need to run all the infrastructure myself i need or outsource to you know aws or whatever to run stuff all the database and stuff is stuff that i run in-house and it's all under my control as the, the company, right? I, I run it all or I outsource some things to third parties, but it's still all in a centralized kind of a way. And so if I were to do that on Evo instead, instead, I don't actually run, like I don't actually store all this data myself. I, I give it to someone else instead. And basically what I offer my customers in this way is saying, this is data that you you own. It's not stuff we own, and so we can't like censor and change it and stuff. Is that is that accurate so far? Yeah, yeah, totally. It's so. Also, from one thing that I really hate is um, passwords and logins and stuff, and having to deal with a million of them for all the millions of sites I use. And so, having a unified login with Dash, where you just verify with your identity and just can start using it makes a lot more sense to me and would be a lot easier. Yeah. And you don't have to worry about your data being connected to your email address and stuff too. Yeah. Every time you get into an app or whatever. Yeah. And uh, so basically the app developer could use a centralized solution or they could use dash and it's kind of more if they care about the permanence and integrity of the data outside of whatever might get censored on. Like, let's just say at some point in the future, it becomes, you know, illegal to list locations that accept crypto payments or something weird like that. And then yeah. all of a sudden the infrastructure providers, um, stop like now they won't they'll like delete that data or not let you store that data on your app and now the, your company takes a huge hit because you you were that was one of your primary things is showing not only which merchants are there but which cryptos they take and so if you you say build on dash instead because that data censorship will never happen is that kind of a good use case for why you tell an app developer to build on dash yeah totally yeah, we have nodes in many different countries uh, 
I think the number it's, I want to say it's around like 60 different countries or something. Uh, it's, it's on crypto ID.com. Uh, but it's a, it's, yeah, it's, it's a lot of different countries. So if you have a situation where like just recently the U S like what they, they censored tornado cash and they were kind of successful in it because like, I forget. Mm -hmm. I think it was over 50% of the nodes are in the U S. Um, so they all had to like comply and, uh, tornado cash transactions weren't being included in the, in the blocks. Um, that is in my, my first blog post, I wrote decentralization of the dash network, uh, we, do we dove into the numbers and this was like a pre preface to like when we were getting ready to do the high performance master nodes, like the, mm -hmm. the proposal and stuff, uh, even with the reduced number of nodes with high performance master nodes, it's essentially impossible to have censorship like that with the, based on the current state, like in just distribution of all the nodes geographically, um, the the percent of that happening is like you know point zero 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 lots of zeros one yeah it's so and, with, and that's just for one block you you have another chance on in the next block so yeah of course and that's also why yeah. scaling kind of matters because you know it could be difficult to get your block your transaction through if some of the nodes are censoring um, but so then in the ethereum standpoint if someone ran a yelp on ethereum it seems like if i'm getting this correct first of all you couldn't just build you couldn't just build yelp and have a data contract that just says oh this app we built just reference this data on this blockchain instead you would have to like build the whole thing from scratch and solidity for the most part right it'd be a lot more difficult to build your underlying app right yeah, because, yeah, you can't do indexing with the data that's stored on Ethereum, really. So it's it's really not even possible. Mm -hmm. Forget, yeah, like forget costs. It's it's it would take forever to write that code. Yeah. So basically, if you want to do a Yelp with decentralized uh, data, you just Ethereum's like almost impossible to even get it done. Is that what you're kind of saying? Yeah. Yeah, so that's just not a good use case for that at all. Um, so basically, it seems to me that, so first of all, the kinds of data that are stored, as far as I'm aware at this point, we're not talking any heavy file storage type stuff, like, you know, movies and big things like that. We're just talking about like rec basic like records and stuff, like lower end data, right? Yeah, right now, uh, see, I don't know so much about like how a video is stored. Mm -hmm. um, maybe like if you can reduce a video to like byte code, we can store byte code and uh, like byte arrays. So I'm not exactly sure about that one. Uh, you can also like store it on IPFS mm -hmm. and then store the, the yeah. URL on the platform. But yeah. Yeah. And that's what... um. Codex was chiming in on in the, uh, in the live chat there. Um, so this is my, I might, might as well just roll into a super chat we got from Halawi a little, oops, 
wrong um wrong thing. Um where is it? Here we go. Something uh, Yes, of Kilawi said, um, have we recruited or identified potential users or use cases? Would a password manager be one? And if so, what's the process flow? How about a formal product comparison analysis? Thanks, Paul, for going out and speaking more. <laughs> yeah. Um, a password manager. See, it's, it's like this is where my software lack of uh, expertise mm -hmm. is coming in because I, like, I don't know how a password manager is really structured and stuff. Uh, yeah. But if it's anything like, uh, what's his name? Mikhail Shenmik, the mm -hmm. incubator developer was telling me about how you can like, uh, you can do signature repositories on platform mm -hmm. uh, in, you know, a de decentralized way. Um, I guess a password manager, if you can do that, I'm assuming you can do a password manager as well. Uh, you just, uh, you'd want to store your data encrypt, like you can encrypt your data, um, uh, before you store it and stuff. Yeah. It, the way I, I mean, I don't know very much about it either, but I do use a password manager and I, there's a, a database. It's an encrypted thing. It's a, there's a database file that I decrypt with a password and then everything else is in there. And then the file, um, whenever I want to transfer to data, I mean, I'm, I'm not using a password manager service. I'm doing, um, what they keep a uh, key pass where you actually have to, you know, there's no syncing across devices. So when I share it to my other computer, I literally just transfer the database file to the other computer, overwrite the old one. Like what if I want to, if I want to update my passwords, and so that's the updated file, and then I just decrypt it with that. So I'm assuming there could be a similar file that your private keys for your identity then can go and decrypt, right? That you can then just decrypt and it gets all in there. Yeah, yeah. And so instead of being like a cloud storage thing, which there are some good password managers that are reputable, like Bitwarden and stuff like that, but it's still, it still gives me pause because it's like run by a company. And even though it's all encrypted and encrypted and stuff, like I still don't fully trust giving all my passwords. Like it's not that I don't. It's not that I don't think that. I not that you're gonna steal it. I just that I don't want to rely on a service like that. I want to have control over it myself. And so I yeah. guess if I were to use something like that in use Evo for that, then I would basically do what I'm doing now, except. I would not have to just transfer a Jenkins little file across my devices. Every time I want to update my passwords, it would just get updated on the network and I just sign in from there everywhere. So this would actually solve a real life problem for me. If, if this is true. Great. Hmm. Yeah. Um, it's so the other parts of the question, right? We're about the, uh, about, uh, I guess lined up use cases and stuff like do you are at this point and I get the just sort of um doing like the research and stuff and are relatively uh, you know new to the whole thing but as far as um recruiting and identify potential users or use cases like have you just heard secondhand or whatever or of potential like companies or specific users or 
specific apps that aren't just Dashpay for the payments that are kind of already being lined up to be to be launched after you know after mainnet hits um honestly from what i can tell all of our resources are going into development mm. um, i know we have like uh ernesto is our business development guy and i think brian foster helps him out a bit with that and mm. uh but i from what i understand they're more involved in like core stuff um and yeah i mean this of course we have to launch evo first but yeah it's definitely an area where like we need to uh at least start thinking about you know some game plans and stuff and i think once we actually launch it we should divert resources to that because honestly we have really cool tech a really cool product and uh mm -hmm. nobody knows about it <laughs> yeah absolutely and I would say also part of the reason why there's two reasons why nobody knows it. three, let's just say I personally believe because um, hearing about evolution is what got me primarily interested in dash. I first heard about it in 2014 and it's called dark coin, but there wasn't any evolution stuff going on there. But um, I think that first off the fact that there, that Evo doesn't exist on mainnet yet is a you know part of the reason why it's harder to talk about. Um, the other thing is because it's been built for so long and there's been some expectations of like, say a 2018 release even, and then a 2020 release. And like, because of the, the delays, um, the it's almost done kind of stuff is kind of falls on deaf ears for a lot of like the market in general, obviously people in dash, who have been watching the progress and actually monitor the GitHub repositories and stuff like that have a better kind of picture of this but the rest of the market like guess what this is going to be cool they're like yeah wake me when it's done but then the other thing is also the what exactly this encompasses is i would say relatively recent just from what i've heard about you know as my understanding grows i kind of see like oh this is different than it's been before so it's been hard to hype up years in advance because it's like well, you know, it, it, we thought it would be like that back then, and now it's a different way. And yeah, but it is it is looking to be quite quite cool on this kind of thing. Um, yeah. Sorry, my connection is I only caught part of that. Yeah. Well, it was it wasn't that important. <laughs> so, um, if I do this, do you still see my video? Um. No. No. Just, okay. Just turned <laughs> off the video. But um, okay. people probably know what you look like anyways by now. Um, I'm just, so um, let me look through some of these um, AMA podcast questions to see if there's anything we didn't kind of go over. Um, One thing that we kind of alluded to a, a few times, but I haven't gotten to say is mm -hmm. um, how much cheaper platform is than Ethereum. Mm -hmm. uh, so when I first joined Dash, I did like, Sam was like, make the fee system. And mm -hmm. so I spent months like really trying to impress uh, Sam and every, everyone working really hard to do this. And uh, but anyways, the um, like so we are going to be suggesting basically um, the Evo nodes are going to be able to decide mm -hmm. how much 
we charge in fees. Mm. Uh, we've done the calculations for like how much everything costs, like literally, you know, how much the storage costs, what's, you know, the general storage prices. Uh, we've calculated like how much should, should st permanent storage cost because like you can, since the price of storage is declining like exponentially, uh, you can say that you can charge for 50 years of storage and that is essentially charging for permanent storage, uh, stuff like that. Uh, we're providing like telling you guys how much it costs. Now you mm -hmm. just the network, mm -hmm. um, and the Matt, the Evo nodes are going to be able to configure and vote on this fee multiplier, uh, so if it's set at the default two, the default value of two, uh, it's the fees are going to cover two times the costs of the network mm -hmm. and they can adjust this to whatever they want. Yeah. Uh, so that's a really cool feature, um, of platform. Also another innovation that I, I don't think anybody else is doing so anything like that. It's just the adjustable uh, fee stuff. Right. Yeah. It's, it's putting the fees in the hands of the Evo node owners. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Um, so they, they can like kind of decide on their ROI, but of mm -hmm. course it's, it's makes sense to keep fees lower because get more customers, the real, more customers and the real ROI comes from the price of dash going up. Uh, so, um, but if, if you charge fees at that default two times the cost, uh, the, the fees on platform are, uh, this was, I did this calculation before we did high performance masternodes. Mm -hmm. Uh, it, the, the cost is tens of thousands of times cheaper than Ethereum. Mm. Uh, and it, I think since we, with Evo nodes, we're cutting the number of, uh, nodes by 10 about it might i'll have to double check but it might that might be 10x so hundreds mm -hmm. of thousands of times cheaper so it's it's really really cheap like i think storing a gigabyte well when i say storing a gigabyte costs like whatever ten dollars or something when you think of traditional database that doesn't sound cheap but when i tell you that storing a gigabyte on ethereum costs millions of dollars yeah that it sounds cheap. <laughs> yeah, and so obviously uh, for large data storage type things, like sometimes, um, actually, let me actually let me check how big these um, these podcast files are. Um, yeah, like this one is going to be over two gigabytes, I think. So obviously, I don't think you'd want to put this podcast on Evo directly. <laughs> but so things like that would like the large data stuff would probably be something like you put it on IPFS and re and reference that or something. And then yeah. the actual data on Evo would be just like, like a database of like restaurant locations or something like that. That's you need to be able to query individual pieces of that really easy. It's like, you need to be able to jump around the video real quick, but not the video. And then, so you just, yeah. you wouldn't need a lot of data is I guess the point, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, is this just because Ethereum is kind of like throttled and congested and like 
all that kind of stuff. Like how much of this is based on Ethereum structure? So let me just give a, a, a corollary, right? Is like Polygon. Polygon, maybe not anymore, but was the number one L2 on Ethereum. And is based from my understanding is basically a copy of Ethereum, except just like centralized with just a few validators and sort of like that. And I have seen transaction throughput counts on Polygon way higher than what Ethereum has been able to do, but not way, way higher. And so it's also very much cheaper, but not completely free. But so it's basically like, let's just say something like Poly Polygon might be a much better comparison than ETH itself, because it just like, in the near term at least, it's like, oh, do ETH stuff, but cheaper. But so I would assume that then rather than 100,000 times cheaper than Ethereum, you'd, you'd be going down to like 1,000 times cheaper instead of like Polygon or something. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's the, yeah, the reason that Ethereum prices are so high is I guess because of the congestion and just the, yeah, initial design. They, I guess, didn't really... <laughs> anticipate it to blow up like it did yeah it's so um real quick so um von can had a question that's just i guess easier to answer it says in dash platform will there be an account model with authorization through dash core private keys or will there just be a bit ability to fund your identity without linking your l1 um, I don't exactly understand the question fully. I understand the fund your identity without linking to your L1. Well, at least without drawing linkage like for privacy reasons. But um, will there, it basically, I guess it sounds like he's saying, can you create platform only identities and wallets and things like that? And just never even touch L1 at all. So, like, you create on, like, for example, on the main chain, let's say you create, you have private keys, you have your wallet, you have actual Dash on, and then you bridge it to credits, etc., and then run all your platform stuff there. I guess it sounds like what he's asking is, can you skip all that and just create an identity that only receives credits, and you never have to actually deal with l1 at all or let me I guess <laughs> posit this is it the same thing in that the same kind of wallet or private keys or whatever works for both and sure you could create a wallet and i guess never end up hitting l1 in a certain way if someone gifted credits you, or you to that identity or whatever you bought them with fiat or something somewhere else and they sent them in there but it would still be the same wallet. It just would be a wallet you just never happen to bridge into L1 Dash. Is that, I don't know, does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I was a little, it sounds like maybe two different questions. Uh, yeah. But, um, yeah, like, credits come from Dash, so that's inescapable. Um, you can... Probably you can, I'm sure you like, you'll be able to create like uh, mixing applications on platform. So if you want to, you know, obscure 
some address, some uh, platform public key from, you know, what it, where it came from on the L1, mm-hmm. you'll be able to do stuff like that. Yeah, it's so let me hit on um, Tetis Stefana had like a, a long question with a lot of stuff. I'm trying to just pick through the very basically what kinds of stuff could platform do? And so she mentions an on-chain slash platform hedge where people can park their dash to stabilize the price in local currency hedge and whatever. So like a, a, I guess that's like the, something I've thought about a lot, like the stable coin idea. Now, um, I know Bitcoin cash through their, the any hedge protocol allows you to do a hedging contract. So if you, if you put a hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin cash in there, then someone, you know, opens a short or so opens a long, you're kind of opening a short, whatever that basically at this, the conclusion of a, of a term, you get a hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin cash, no matter what the actual price is. So there's that element. And there's also like stable coins you could make and algo stables are the, the interesting one, like an over collateralized algo stable or something. So is that kind of stuff, like how much of that stuff is going to be doable with platform? Yeah, well, when we have smart contracts, that all everything is going to be possible, mm-hmm. uh, just like you know, just like Ethereum. Um, with data contracts, the th- the thing is, um, you can do this logic. You can do some of this logic like off chain, but you know the the code is not going to be stored immutably on chain, mm. which is like the the use case for smart contracts really yeah and so another thing she mentioned was like a web3 search engine made with a reputation score so i mean i I know very little about the actual inner workings of how search engines work but it seems like a search engine does basically reference and query data right in a uh-huh. And so, like, I wonder if there'd be a way to make like a a Google on Evo. I think know, that the yeah, like you have to charge. Uh, well, I mean, the way that we are making platform is we're charging for computational power. Like, you're charging fees for that, and that it's not going to be a feasible way to do a search engine on chain Mm -hmm. um you can make that kind of app off chain that queries the data on platform Mm. and that's totally possible so yeah i i think of like a i think that like a a wikipedia type of thing would be really cool for Mm -hmm. platform uh because of like you know the ability to have really secure permanent uncensorable storage uh, on platform is uh, really cool. Now so. I wonder about like a GitHub. Now <laughs> that might get a little encompassing, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think in a similar way, you would want to take some computation off chain. Mm-hmm. You know, depending what features you want. Yeah, but like, just like, just storage of 
like code repositories and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So you could store, put, yeah. Yeah, because that's something that's like, I think, just like the whole Infura thing is a Achilles heel of the ETH world because of you have to like run your own node to query a lot of this data uh, that's solved by Dappy. I think that um, like the GitHub repository thing is like where Tornado Cache's GitHub actually got like censored. Like they took it down. Oh, and, yeah. And so like having a decentralized, like a dash version of that would be interesting. Of course, it would have to make sense. I don't know if it makes sense to do that, but just being able to like store all the all the code, the code base just Oh yeah. Yeah, that would totally make sense to do. I'm I'm talking about like uh in GitHub you can like search code bases and stuff mm -hmm. and you know really uh you might want to take some of some of the functionalities off chain if it's too too expensive. Yeah, and so in that case, for example, searching the code base and stuff, like the code bases could all be uploaded to Evo, but then someone could just run their own site that that plugs in there and just searches it all. And so then even if that centralized site or whatever goes down, the data is all still there. You just build a different one that plugs into Dappy and then you're good to go. Yeah. Yeah. That could be a big use case because everyone's using GitHub or GitLab or something. And I don't know too much about how GitLab, GitLab works, but I don't think like, yeah, it could be a good, um, yeah, it could be a, a really interesting use case. Um, obviously. And then the other use case that Tante Stefana kind of asked if it would be possible, a marketplace where people put up their wares for sale like eBay. And yeah. So I think that like, I, that would definitely sounds like it'd be possible, right? Like an eBay type thing. I guess the challenge yeah. is the buying and selling of things because when you buy something like how, how do you not get scammed? Yeah. Like for example, if you, you like, I list something, I list a product and you buy it and you pay me direct to the identity. Great but then I just never send it or the product never existed to begin with and stuff like that. That's where right. you start to need I've, and I've seen a lot cause some, I like one of my good friends was the lead backend developer for open bazaar. And a lot of those kinds of systems have to deal with like complicated escrow things and moderators and weird things like that. And maybe this is just like a, a spitball idea kind of thing out there. Um, if you do get to a world where goods and services are, I guess, or goods specifically, are um, represented, I guess, legally or whatever, by some sort of an NFT. Then you could, like, for example, if you buy a car, you have the, the car title as an NFT that, like, actually legally represents ownership of this vehicle. And then if you actually, you could actually transfer, you could actually buy the car title on an Evo based marketplace and that all works out just fine. You know, you just buy it, you get it. And then it's just like, well, if the car is broken or misrepresented or whatever, then that's when you get to, you have to like take some of the court or something like that. But yeah, that's, that's kind of where that would work. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's the way I see it as well. Yeah. So, um, 
Let me see. Is there anyone else throw any final questions out here? Because we're probably in a good good spot to wrap this up pretty soon. Um, while we're waiting to see if anyone posts something real quick, um, what um, what are you personally most looking forward to being able to do once Evo's done? Um, hmm. Well, honestly, uh, <laughs> I love, I love my job. So just, um, you know, I, I don't know, I guess, yeah, like I'll, I'll probably be me personally, I'll be most interested in using like when we get smart contracts doing like DeFi and, and stuff and mm -hmm. trying to uh, increase my income through that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Of course. Yeah, um, move should communicate, says usernames is the biggest feature in my opinion. Yeah, and I personally, like what I like, my personal interest in this stuff is just being able to easily use crypto, specifically Dash, of course, but um, what I would absolutely love would be for there to be a username multi-coin wallet that uses Thorchain and the Maya protocol backend for swaps and things like that that ba but basically uses dash identities and usernames for everything and so basically in order to if you want to send bitcoin username to username in order to register the username and stuff you have to bridge some over and dash it it's all done in an obscure kind of way so then you could have yeah. people using all kinds of different coins um, or what use whatever they want, but paying Dash to do it, you know, using the Dash network, registering identities, and just uh, obviously associating private keys of other crypto wallets and stuff to do that, and basically have Dash become like the username structure that everyone does. Uh, yeah, that would be very cool. That yeah. brings up some more questions in my head, but I don't want to get into it right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, where... Where can people follow you and your work and all the cool stuff you do? Um, I'm trying to be active on my Twitter, so or my X account, I should say. So, uh, right. Mm -hmm. uh, I think if you want to go to Dash, the Dash Pay account, they retweeted me mm -hmm. a couple times. Uh, my user handle is Paul One Delusha. Mm -hmm. um, so, <laughs> right, yeah. Um, besides. Yeah, and I'll, I'll announce like blog posts uh, there and stuff. So I think that would probably be the best way. You can also DM me on Discord if you want. Uh, I'm in the Dash Discord. I forget what my name is exactly, but search search Paul or just ask ask for what my username is in the general channel. Yeah, just say, um, "Where's Mister from Research?" No. Right. Yeah, my, that's my nickname. Mister from Research. I've had a bunch of people reach out to me with questions and, uh, I, I really enjoy, you know, uh, I enjoy it. Uh, mm -hmm. so yeah, please, I encourage people to reach out to me. Yeah. And I guess the next question, the last question is when Evo, oh. when, Evo. <laughs> when I, when I joined in November 21, I was told by, I think like a couple months and, uh, it seems like that's, 
always been the story. So, yeah, this is when Evo is relative to when now, right? (laughs) So, right, yeah. Um, But I will say, I do like I have recently felt like some things are really nearing the end, Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, I you know I so I really I hope that it comes very soon. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're we're launching, or we are, we're either launching or we just launched our final test net before launch or before launch, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. So yeah, we're very very close. Fingers crossed. Uh, one thing's for sure. Um, I do want to give kind of a final note or something on that. Um, Alux of the Maya Protocol. So they have a very interesting. There's a Thorchain fork, cross-chain native swaps including dash great stuff but their launch is something that i think has been very interesting to me because first of all they have zero inflation so after they launched and they distributed all the tokens to um initial liquidity providers that then you know the native token that's used for swaps and things like that um then they're just no unlike thorchain they just have no inflation so everything the network has to do is 100 percent fees from day one like there's wow. there's no okay let's take this easy let's wait for that so i can see it in their eyes sometimes too when they're like hey man you got any more of those integrations like they're they got to make this work and right now i mean there's uh-huh. al- there's already a lot of you know growing volume and stuff on the chain and it's it's i think it's looking like they're going to make it but another thing they said is they intentionally launched in the middle of the bear market because they said too many projects launched with a lot of bull market hype and then all of a sudden everyone buys the token and then the token crashes and then every, they just lose all that momentum in future years. And so they said they'd rather build at the bottom of a bear market so that people jump on board and start growing. And then they already have a base of growth when the bull market hits and things really take off. But then even if things quiet down, they just kind of ride that to success and in they have to succeed in the bear first. And so... Uh, sure. I really hope that Evo launches before we really start hitting bull market vibes and we have actually something to show for it that then in the bull market people get excited for. Like I would really like there to also already be a few apps out there with users so that then when people start getting excited, you're like, next big Web3 thing, whatever hype you want to put out there, you, you dump it into something that's not just oh, we're, we're almost done with it, dudes. But like, <laughs> is actually done and has real users today. And yeah, so that's kind of my hope is yeah. bear market launch, you know, bull market. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's as a last fine, funny joke before I just wrap it up. Uh, Move, shoot, communicate, <laughs> commented. Uh, when Evo equals when now plus three months. There's an equation you can take to the bank. <laughs> Three more months, 18 months, like with lightning, you know? All right. So right. thanks very much for being on everyone. Thanks for watching. Uh, this has been a good time. Um, I really hope at some point in the future, I get to do other deep dives into a lot of the use case type things. I feel like I get like for the first time ever, maybe I feel like I kind of get Evo. Like, what is it? What does it do? How is it structured? And so I I feel like I 
you know, I feel like I kind of like 85% get it now. And I feel like it was like 55 before the podcast. So I, I learned something. I got it rounded out. Um, hopefully I can start breaking that down to other people too. So yeah, good stuff. Yes. Thanks for being on Paul. Everyone enjoy your weekend. This has been a great time. Um, yeah. And let me know who you want me to have on next and yeah, enjoy yourselves and I'll see you guys around. Bye-bye.